You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. So sometimes there is just kismet in the air. I think that's how the expression goes. Or sometimes there's just whatever it is in the air. I don't know. A (laughs) sense of deja vu. A sense of things are going to happen today because today is the day that things are supposed to happen. It's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. Back in June, we took you to an event called Winning Plays. Black Women, Feminism, and Empowerment. It was hosted by the fabulous Stacey Tisdale, who is a fellow financial journalist I've known forever. She has been reporting on business and financial issues for more than 15 years. She's also the CEO and president of Mind Money Media and the author of The True Cost of Happiness, The Real Story Behind Managing Your Money. Anyway, we sat down with Stacey and Gloria Steinem, for a discussion on race and money and power, but we barely scratched the surface. We ended up talking a lot with Gloria about her views on politics and money and really did not get the opportunity to dig into this important topic with Stacy. And to be really honest, we heard it from a lot of you who wrote in and said, hey, this is important and you didn't give it the time that it deserved. So we heard you. We especially heard Whitney, who's one of our listeners. She is with us in the studio today because she wrote us a very impassioned and very nice note. And we said, hey, we're going to have Stacy back. Why don't you join us? So Whitney is here today as well. And my little deja vu kismet moment, serendipity. It's serendipity. That's what it is. Happened this morning. I was giving a talk at the YWCA in Greenwich about my book, Age Proof, I walk in the lobby and whose picture do I see? And I mean a big picture, like a movie star picture. Do I see plastered in the lobby? Stacy Tisdale, because she was on the board of this wonderful organization and has been giving back to this particular Y for many years. And I thought, okay, I am on track. I am doing it right today. Stacy, welcome. It's terrific to have you here. I'm glad this is radio so people can't see goosebumps, watery eyes, Aww. the whole nine yards. <laughs> and really, um, kudos to you. And don't be hard on yourself because some of the responses you got about not digging deeper into black women and feminism, you had a full plate that evening. And we were with Gloria Steinem. So there was a lot to talk about. So I really appreciate the fact that you saw this is such a not important issue, but such a natural issue that you are making time for it on this show. Really appreciate it. No, my my pleasure. And I want to understand it a little bit better. I, I don't feel like I understand it fully enough, but I want to take it sort of piece by piece. So let's take feminism first, and then let's bring black women and women of color into the picture. So what is your personal definition of feminism? It's us kind of using the language and the label of feminism to find the unity inside of all diversity. And what we're seeing with terms like feminism 
and we're seeing the divisiveness of it. And there's really an opportunity for us to move out of kind of the shame and blame impact and um, kind of energy around that. Feminism is equality. And it's a way for us to kind of see where we can do better. For example, so I know a lot of black women out there feel isolated mm-hmm. from the feminist movement. And that's not the intention of the feminist movement. For example, we always hear when we're talking about gender wage gap, 77 cents for every dollar white men make. That's what women. For black women, it's 64 cents for every dollar that you know white men make. And it's not in the conversation. I love defining feminism as equality because for terms of this conversation, as we talk about women and money, equality is something you can measure. You know, equality when we're talking about pay, that's a number where we can look at it and we can say, yes, it's there or yes, it's not. And in this case, it's really not. It's not there at all. And when you really take a holistic view of the conversation, I saw an interesting study last week how freelance women make about 34% less than freelance men doing the same thing. just Across across the board. Across the board. And when you look at that, it's horrifying. And we immediately jump to the systemic issues and they are there. And they are real, particularly when you look at some of the conversations that we're having now about some of the circumstances that women have to go through. When you break down the numbers, a lot of those women were asking for less for the same job. And that's where some of the pay gap comes from. We all hear things like women don't negotiate the same as men. They don't. Where we have to come is that we have to, particularly when it comes to money, men and women look at money very differently. How do you think we look at money differently? It's just raw conditioning. That's um, my book, The True Cost of Happiness, came about because I got frustrated as a financial journalist that we know everything about money. You know, we can tell people the right tools to use, how to save for their 401ks and all that stuff. It doesn't translate into behavior. Mm -hmm. So I did a six-year research project into what drives financial behavior. And then the problem became very clear. When we have financial problems, we go straight to the numbers, oh, earn more, save more, what have you. The real causes of our financial behavior have got nothing to do with numbers. It's the result of conditioning. And I always say money's greatest gift is, I I call it the money mirror. It can reflect back to you where you're not valuing yourself. And it should be used that way. And we have to get to a point when it comes to equality around money. One, everybody should get paid the same thing for the same job. That's happening in an evolutionary way. Recent research shows that millennials are much more open about talking about their salaries. Mm-hmm. It's going to come from with inside of us. But we have to um, also learn to respect the differences that men and women have about money. And just to get to your point, women, you know, conditioned to be nurturers. And if you look at how the brain actually works, women value themselves by how they nurture, mm-hmm. whether they're mothers or not. That childbearing ability just shifts your whole, you know, energetic personality. Men value themselves by how they provide and protect. And they're very different ways of coming about money. That means different things are going to be important to them. Accumulation is going to be important to men. It's tied to their self-worth. Things like social impact investing are, you know, more important than the bottom line to women. That's okay. And instead, what labels do is they demonize when you hold that money mirror up to 
black women, what do you see and hear that's different from white women? I'm so proud of black women. And as a um, journalist, I was thinking a lot about this lately. As a journalist, we're trained to take ourselves out of the story. That's, you know, the skill of journalism. That's right. That's the art of journalism. And life's journey, life, you know, especially over the past couple of months, I've seen how that story has made me what I am today. The point of that event, the message that we wanted to get across, is that despite all of the challenges that black women have had, they're the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in the United States. I think the number of um, businesses created by black women is up over 130% since 1997. Um, they're the most educated group in the United States. You don't hear a lot about that. You don't. And they're very silent. So the message of that event was that black women are an example of resilience that can help us all find that unity inside of our diversity. So I quoted Maggie Lena Walker a lot that night. Maggie Lena Walker was the first female bank president in the United States, and she was a black woman. And in 1902, she just had this quote, and it was just boom. It was just everything to me. Um, black women are going to have to join their mites together. They're going to have to join their fists together, and they're going to have to make work and business for themselves. The system was so jerry-rigged against black women that they turned to each other. And not so much they turned to each other. When nothing's working for us and we realize we have to create our own environment, that's something that transcends gender. That's something that transcends race. That's resilience. So the point of that evening was to show to everybody their resilience. That's the place we have to get to on all of these issues, If and the black women are just a phenomenal example of it. Well, I think that joining together to further the greater good is something that women simply do better than men. I mean, I remember... And boy, I probably am going to botch this example, but I remember writing a story. I was at Money Magazine, and I was working on a story on what successful women do that helps them move ahead, Seven Secrets of Financial Success or something. But it was about women. And there was an example of women in Bangladesh who wanted to start small businesses and they gathered together in groups to meet and to share tips and to share strategies. And they had all received microloans to get these businesses off the ground. And the women who were grouping and helping each other paid the money back, no problem. And there was a group of men who similarly had gotten microloans to start small businesses, but they didn't group. And they defaulted by and large, in very, very big numbers. And so I think this is just something that must be innate. I mean, I've got a book group. My husband doesn't have a book group. He wouldn't have a book group if it hit him in the we head, look, right? We have to look at that. Again, that goes back to that early conditioning. If you are a man and you you know provide and protect is what you've been conditioned to do, you're going to see that money as, you know, this is what I have to bring back to my family. If you're a woman and, um, you know, it's just different values. I'll give you a great example. So I created the Winning Place Financial Education Program, which is a behavior-based financial education program for students of all ages. You can go to winningplace.org to learn more about it. And one of the classes is on gender. And we start 
the lesson by having kids examine how men and women are treated differently when they walk into a car dealership. And, you know, everyone, all the kids, you know, the woman's going to get the higher rate, blah, 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 the whole nine yards. And that's easy to see. When it came to looking about the relationship men have with money, I cited there's a Cambridge University study that shows that after six weeks of unemployment, men start undergoing a physiological and chemical depression. What was very interesting is this was being piloted. One of the schools where uh, we were piloting was uh, Bassock High School in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and it's a low-income community. And one of the boys in the class said, maybe that's why my father left. Oh. And, you know, because in the conversation, we talk about that different conditioning, yeah. how men and women's brains actually value them for different reasons. And he's like, maybe that's why my father left. And I was flying the wall. They didn't even know I was in the room. And the teacher's like, what do you mean by that? She's like, well, if at the end of the day, you feel like the one thing you're supposed to do, provide and protect you can't do, maybe you think your family's better off without you. And then a girl raises her hand. It was something, I might be messing up the animal, but it was something like, wow, and lions, when the male starts taking resources away, they leave the tribe. That's human behavior. So a lot of this, that's what I'm saying. And that's why, you know, the message of that event last night was we're all born perfect. We're born knowing how to problem solve. We're born knowing how to love. We're born knowing how to wake up. We're born knowing all of these things are inside of us. Nothing will make us forget that perfection quicker than money. Resilience is one of our greatest tricks. Just think of all the pressures black women were under. Something inside of them made them entrepreneurial. So that's where, you know, where we really, really have to connect. And that's the conversation. And I know we're going to talk about a lot of things, um, equality in the workplace as well. We have to move out of the shame and blame because it's a loop and it's not working. You know, Whitney raised the question after our last conversation about entrepreneurship and wondering whether so many women of color, so many black women feel that the only way to close the gap, the pay gap, is to become entrepreneurs, that that's the only option available to them. Can you discuss? That's exactly what I'm talking about. And I appreciate your effort in getting to the bottom of it. So there is, you can look at it one way. They're not getting the jobs. They're not getting the opportunities. They're not getting pay. So they had to create businesses. And you can see what I was saying about Maggie Lena Walker. You know, we're going to have to do this for himself. Something in them keeps them from giving up. It's something that all of us have inside of us. You know, resilience. They're a great reminder to all of us that we are born perfect. And, you know, this other stuff kicks in even when the world's not working for you. It's a, it's a, it's a much deeper level than where we're getting. And black women are just a great example of it because they've had to live it. Sometimes they feel so isolated because um, very well-meaning things like lean in, these things that women really bond around. There's a very unintended elitism mm. to them. I have the time to lean in. For some of us, it's standing up. Right. It can be a very isolating concept. And, you know, I know you and I were just talking about this, but when you look at Things like diversity efforts. And by the way, I'm officially, I'll, I use it so people understand me, but I'm so over diversity and um, inclusion as we use it. Diversity is nature. It's just natural. It's, you know, the, it's the, how the world was created. There's diversity, you know, it's just nature. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we're looking at it as something that companies are, are trying to achieve it's much more, I use much more use the term composition. Companies are trying to make their composition reflect what the world really is. It's a natural thing. So all of these things like diversity, inclusiveness, and all of this stuff, it's 
isolating and it brings with it a shame and blame factor. And what we're really trying to do is make our actions, our companies, reflect what society is so they can serve society. Yeah, absolutely. Such an important point. I want to keep going. But before we do, I just want to remind everybody that important conversations like these are brought to you by Fidelity Investments. And Fidelity is focused on helping women like all of us take charge of our financial lives because we deserve to live the lives that we work so hard for. So visit fidelity.com slash it's time. You'll find more conversations like this one with Stacey Tisdale, as well as information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times, whether you're getting married, getting divorced, starting a new career. Again, that is fidelity.com slash it's time. We are here talking with Stacy Tisdale. I want to transition a little bit to this notion of not just closing the salary gap, but closing the savings and investment gap. It's one thing to earn money, but if we want money to sustain us through what is going to be a very long lifespan, we've got to make sure that we are able to save enough. And a lot of people aren't even able to get started. They are, as you term it, financially insecure. So talk to me a little bit about financial insecurity and If you are feeling financially insecure as you're listening to this, how can you break that cycle? That's exactly what we're talking about, connecting with some of your, what I call signature strengths, things you're born with, like resilience and all this stuff. Financial insecurity and financial anxiety, it's paralysis. Your mind is literally in survival mode. And I was recently speaking to a doctor about this. What people have to understand is that your mind cannot distinguish between an event, and a thought. It goes into reality. Like, sit, just try it. Sit here, close your eyes, and think about a time when you were really, really scared. You can totally call up that feeling again just by thinking about it. Your mind doesn't know the difference. So when you're in financial insecurity, your whole fight-or-flight mechanism that your body goes into when it's fighting for its survival kicks in because we have so conditioned ourselves to tie money to our survival. So it's real. I was talking to a doctor about anxiety, and she said, your body, it actually goes into survival mode. It produces, I forget if it's more or less cortisol. Your, you know, your heart rate goes up. You get all the symptoms of anxiety are mental, you know. Right. You get overcome exact, by stress and, and it's anxiety. It's the exact same thing. Your body is in a, thinking it's in a fight for its life. You're not. That's step one. You're not. That's when you have to remind yourself there's more to you. If that for some reason that bill doesn't get paid next week, if for some reason you didn't hit your savings target, if for some reason you're tapping into that 401k because you have to make ends meet, you're not going to die. Because exactly what you need to do at that moment is breathe and think, and there's literally oxygen not getting to your brain. So it's up to us to remove a lot of the stigma around money. One of the reasons women go into debt is because they're divorced. Mm-hmm. This, that does not make them a bad person. But, you know, just the stigma in society around debt is that, you know, we've tied it to character. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I used to say all the time, you are not your credit score. Yes. Right? You, you are. I don't, I don't care if your credit score. I mean, I would prefer for you that your credit score be higher. But if it's in the 600s or the 500s and you got to work on it, that's a process. That's exactly. not who you are. Self-worth is not net worth. But what you're going to do is when you're in survival mode, 
You're going to make decisions that keep you in survival mode. Okay, oh, I got to take this. I got to take that. When you're not stepping into your power, embracing your power, which is where solutions will come from. You'll see, you'll just look at things differently. You'll make different decisions. You'll make different choices. And those choices and decisions, that's where you have to trust your instinct. Well, it's, I think, where you have to step back and say, Rather than doing something this moment, I'm going to think long enough to come up with a longer-term plan that will solve whatever the underlying issue happens to be. Look at the story of black women. They ultimately just trusted themselves. I'm going to let my mind get quiet, and I'm going to trust what comes up and follow it. You have to look at things differently to make different decisions, and that's step one to getting yourself out of financial trouble. You have to change your mindset. People have to get clear on the difference between thoughts and your mind. You know, your mind's a machine, and one of the things that comes out of it are thoughts. And based on your surroundings, based on how you're feeling, based on how you're feeling threatened, all these thoughts come up, and we believe every single one of them. We identify with every single one of them. And that's why in education, you know, there's much more emphasis on managing our minds. That's the key to everything. And it's the thing that's not taught in schools. And that's what you really have to take control of. Because the environment will happen around you. You'll start making different decisions. You'll find yourself in a different financial position. But if you stay in that fear, that fight or flight, you know, you're going to make decisions that keep you there. And those are the exact moments when you have to learn how to self-soothe. You have to calm yourself. Those are the times when you should be exercising more. You should be sleeping more. You should be, you know, when we're under really stressful situations, like I'll notice, like preparing for this June event was a wonderful thing, but it was so much stress around it. It would be three o'clock in the afternoon and I'd realized I hadn't eaten. Yeah. No, it's, it's so true. And our sponsors at Fidelity, they did this incredible study looking at 20 or so different stressful life events and the magic bullet that they found to help you deal with every single one of them was exercise. Yeah. Exer- exercise. Exercise, breathing and meditation and those types of things. And it's the last thing you want to do. Your, your brain needs oxygen. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that there's space between you and your thought. You cannot identify yourself as I am debt. I am this. You just are. And be, get quiet, and that's when those powers, resilience, all that other stuff can come through. In the last couple of minutes that we have, I want to talk about kids and money because I think that the earlier that you can start to make home a safe space to talk about this stuff, the better off your kids are going to be. You've got a new project. It's called Kid Fund. And I know that you wrote an article and kids can actually use their phones, learn about money, get a free $5 savings account at the same time. So tell us about that because we like free money. We love free money. It's um, how your kids can use their cell phone to develop good savings habits and earn $5. And Kid Fund and I um, did a partnership through Winning Plays Financial Education Program because Winning Plays is all about teaching kids how to create good financial habits. We have to deal with our kids where we are. Like any parent, I'm having the technology wars with my (laughs) 12-year-old because it it feels like the constant battle to make it not a habit to pick up his phone every time he's not doing something. And he has that kid battle of, would you stop talking about my intellectual and emotional development being ruined by my cell phone? (laughs) So we have to kind of meet them where they are. This is a good place to compromise. Download the Kid Fund app. Okay. And you're going to, one, be able to open a savings account for your child. You can link your savings account to it so you can actually add money to it and all sorts of those things. You're getting about a 3% interest rate. 
Is there any cost? No. And what's interesting about Kid Fund is that it gives you an opportunity to do the three things that are necessary to help your kid develop strong financial values. Give them experience. Kid Fund gives them real experience with saving and watching wealth being built in using something they're using already. So what I really, really love about that is we're talking about how to condition the brain and everything. I want my kid, if his cell phone's going to be a part of his life, I want him to his brain to know that you go to it to do things like save money. You do things like manage wealth. It's not just for social media and texting. So you get the opportunity to really help them make that link. And if you go to kidfund.us, you, you know, it's really simple to do. You download the app. You open a savings account. And if you, the story that Gene and I are talking about, we'll both put it on our social media. If you use that link, they'll actually put $5 in it for you when you make a deposit. But, you know, that's experience. You're able to be an example for your child because you can talk to them about savings, your own experience with it, and you're communicating about money. And those three things are what really have to be in place for kids to develop healthy attitudes about money. Let's face it, we have an easier time talking about sex than money. Only, I think, 16 or 17 states require financial education. Our kids got a raw deal with the economy, the student loan debt burden, the fact that they're paying for their own retirement. Mm -hmm. They have to have multiple streams of income. We have to fill in the gap. We have to, you know, just do better in terms of educating and prepare them. And apps like Kid Fund are great opportunities to do that. Well, we will check it out. Just to be clear, it's an account with U.S. Alliance Financial, which is a credit union yes. that was founded by IBM. The 3% interest rate sounds amazing. It's on the first $500, yes. which is a lot for your kids to save. Accounts are FDIC insured. So we will put that in the show description. And Stacy Tisdale, thank you for coming back and for spending all this time with us. And Whitney, thank you for suggesting it. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. And thank you so much for your efforts. Thank you. And we'll be right back. So Kelly and our listener Whitney have joined me Yay. in the studio. We've got a special guest and Charles had to set up an extra mic. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Welcome. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you for coming in. What do you think of the conversation? I thought it was very insightful, and I thought you asked all of the right questions, so I really appreciate that. Oh, thanks. Um, and yeah, you know, to Stacey's point, Black women are resilient. There's a great study or report that came out of recently that Nielsen released about Black girl magic. And if anybody is interested in learning more about the Black female demographic, that's a great place to start. I will take a look. We thought we would just see if you had any questions about your money since you're here and we're here. And let's see if we can make some magic of our own. Sure. So the question that comes to mind for me is I am starting the home buying process. I actually live in Washington, D.C. Where you're a lawyer. Yes. And I am wondering... Is it a good idea to tap into my IRA to find money to put towards my down payment? Is it a Roth IRA? It's a traditional. Then no. Um, if it was a Roth IRA, you'd be able to pull money out without paying taxes and penalties. You can't do that with a traditional IRA. And so you could end up paying... 30 cents on every dollar that you pulled out, which is just so expensive. I'd almost rather see you scale back the contributions that you're making to the IRA for this year and even next year if you have to in order to come up with the sum of money to put against your down payment. But pulling it out is just really, really expensive. Okay. And when you 
are, you know, you should go through the process of looking around, of starting to go to open houses, but also starting to talk to mortgage companies about what they'd expect from you in terms of a down payment. If you're going to be required to put down 10% or 20% or if you can get away with less and how you feel about that. Um, just to, to make sure that you've got a decent grip on what the down payment number is for the type of place that you think you want to buy. Okay. What do you think about tapping into a 401k? Same deal. Okay. So for a 401k, unlike an IRA, you can borrow, which many people do. The problem with borrowing is that although you don't have to pay the taxes and penalties, you lose the opportunity to gain any sort of growth on that money. And if the market has another year like it's just had, you certainly don't want to miss that. But beyond that, if you were to lose your job, you would be asked to repay that loan within 60 days or it would be charged as a withdrawal. And at that point, you would have to pay the taxes and the penalties. So then it could get expensive. So again, I'd prefer to just see you soft pedal those contributions. But if you're making both an IRA contribution and a 401k contribution every single year, you can afford to save a little less and put a little more into a house. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes 100% sense. And good for you. Are you, um, you want to buy soon? Yes. So for my 32nd birthday, which is in February, I would like to buy myself a place. Excellent. I've noticed that all of my guy friends are homeowners. I can count on one hand the number of my female friends who are homeowners. I just find that like really, really interesting. And it's not necessarily representative of the general population. So single women are the fastest growing segment of homeowners. So if you do this, you're going to have a lot of company. Good. I'm excited. Yeah. Congratulations. And thank you for the questions. Kelly, do we have one more? Sure. We'll do one more from Michelle. My question, is it possible to save money and pay down debt at the same time? I've recently had to pay out a large amount of cash in a divorce. I would like to build up my savings, but also pay off about $18,000 in credit card debt. Yep. It's possible. So figure out how much discretionary income you have to put against both of those goals and then just split it. Uh, And you can split it equally. That's fine. You can automate the contributions into both the savings and against the debt in as the form of a payment so that you know that it's going to happen every single month. You should just do it recognizing that the payoff you're going to get by paying off the debt is a lot greater than the payoff that you're going to get by putting the money into savings, especially if it's in some sort of a bank savings account. Mm Because if you're paying off credit card debt at the average right now is about 15, 16%. That's the return on your money that you get from making that move. The return on your money from putting money in a savings account, 1%, 2%. But I, I get we all want to have some savings for emergencies. But, you know, as you're looking at the split, keep those returns on your investment in mind. Great. Thank you. Sure. Absolutely. And we will wrap up this show with an episode of Hayden Helps. Hayden's been hard at work saving people money wherever they go. And we're going to bring her in right now. So you have been hard at work helping people solve their consumer problems, which is fantastic. If anybody's having a consumer issue and wants to reach out to Hayden, what's the best way to do it? 
you can send us a note at gene at genechatsky.com and they'll forward it over to me and I'll start working on it. I can't wait. Okay, so who did you help this time? I helped a couple named Dan and Pat. They wrote in and they said they were supposed to fly out of Oklahoma City after visiting their son in the military. The problem was at the airport, they were told the flight was canceled because of mechanical issues. And when you hear a flight's canceled because of mechanical issues, your ears always need to perk up because that means you can get more in reimbursement than if it was just a delay or a weather problem. So they couldn't get them on another flight until the next day. Of course, you know, another day of your vacation means more expenses. They got another night at their hotel, another night with their rental car, and they had food expenses. Finally, the next day, they flew out, and after several emails, phone calls, doing the online complaint form, they still didn't really hear back. And the Delta's- From the airline, which was, which was Delta. And let's just be clear on this. When this happens to you, when a flight is canceled for mechanical reasons and you can't get out till the next day, isn't the airline supposed to pay for you to stay someplace and be able to eat? Isn't that part of policy? It depends on the airline. For a lot of them, it is part of the policy. But what I've seen is they'll pull anything out of the air to try to get out of paying that. So, you know, they'll say, oh, well, it was a mechanical issue, but the real reason for the delay was the weather or something like that. So it really is situational, and it also depends on who you're talking to. So these folks followed what they thought was the correct procedure, right? And that means they filled out a bunch of paperwork. Exactly. They filled out the online complaint form. They sent in copies of all their receipts in the mail, which is exactly what they tell you to do. But they didn't hear back for a while. And then when they finally did hear back, they received inexplicably a $20 check in cash in the mail and a Delta gift card with some flight credit on it. But what they really wanted was just their $150 reimbursed in cash. So they called you. Exactly. Or they wrote to you. <laughs> exactly. And what'd you do? So we went back and forth for a while. I um, asked them about the situation. Then I was able to call. Since the trip was in May, it was a little harder to get them the money back this time because the representatives balked at the fact that it had been a few months. But after just being patient and staying on hold, I was able to get them $170 back, which was $20 more than they actually spent. Excellent job. So what are we up to now in Hayden Helps Savings? A couple of great ones have just come in. We have one about student loans. We have one about grad school tuition. And we have another one about internet bills. And how much money have you saved people? I think right now it's up to 2,700. That is amazing. Keep on going. We're feeling good about all this help that you're bringing to our listeners. And again, if you've got a question, if you've got a problem, you can reach out to us at gene at genechatsky.com and say that you've got a problem and you would like Hayden's help. Can't wait. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us for this terrific conversation. Thank you to Stacey Tisdale for coming back on the show and to Whitney for suggesting it. Thank you again to our sponsor, Fidelity. We are always so glad to have you on board. And a big thank you to somebody we don't usually thank. Charles de Montebello runs CDM Studios in Manhattan. He is on the west side of town in a fabulous old Art Deco building, but a brand new studio. And I just want to say... If any of you are ever thinking that you might want to record a podcast or record an audiobook, you should look up CDM because not only does this have some of the best people watching in town, but the services are really top-notch and we very much enjoy being here. One more reminder, our show comes to you through PRX. 
Our music is provided by Track Tribe, and we'll talk soon.